This is the Birth, Baby, and Life Podcast with Kristen Burgess, and we've got the skills in episode number 130. Welcome to the Birth, Baby, and Life Podcast, the tips, tools, and straight talk you want for pregnancy, childbirth, and bringing up baby. And now your host, Kristen Burgess. Hi, y'all. It's Kristen from naturalbirthandbabycare.com, and we are here today to continue with part three in our VBAC series. I hope that you've been enjoying this series and finding it informative. A lot of the information, especially the information that I shared last week, and even the information that I shared in the first week's episode is going to be really helpful regardless of if you're planning a VBAC or if you're planning just a standard natural birth because you need to consider your care provider. You need to keep yourself low risk and it's also good to find supportive people to have around you. So these things are things that can help all moms and some of the things that we're going to talk about today are also things that will help all moms regardless of if you're planning a VBAC or not. But I want to really focus in on those of you who are planning a VBAC because these things are so very important. What we've talked about already is, or they are topics that you need to consider probably even before you're pregnant, but they're things that you need to do during pregnancy. The first thing that we're going to talk about today is something that you do during pregnancy, but it's very much focused on when you enter your birthing time to have your baby. And that's learning the skills that you need when you're going to be in labor, when you're going to be working with your baby. They're important for all moms. I truly believe that a mom who is healthy, well-nourished, who has a supportive care provider or who has chosen the birth that is right for her and who is skilled is the mom who has the best chance of having the birth outcome she wants. Of course, things always happen and sometimes even the best prepared moms don't have the birth that they were expecting. But I believe that if you do all of these things that not only are you strong and healthy, but you're well informed and can still feel like you're confident and in control regardless of what your birth outcome turns out being. But I can say that for me, I have used these things to prepare before each of my births. And I feel like all of these things were vital in helping me have the birth outcomes that I want to have. I also know from teaching mama baby birthing classes for four and a half, almost five years at this point, that my students who have taken these things seriously are the ones who go on to have the best outcomes. And in fact, I just... I think back on certain students especially who asked lots of questions and who got lots of feedback and who looked for lots of guidance and those students are often the students who sent me glowing birth stories afterwards because they really they really took it seriously and I'm not saying you know you have to take my class to have taken things seriously but I guess what I'm saying is I can tell when women take my class, are they really serious or not? It's just the same as a math teacher can tell when somebody's in her class who's really serious about learning and who's just here because they have to be here. And I like to think that women come to my class because they want to be in my class, especially since they pay to take it. But some people put more into it than others. And I really feel like the moms who put a lot into becoming skilled and prepared for birth and who ask the right questions and who seek 
to discover everything they can discover beforehand are the ones who feel the most confident and the most prepared and who often have really good birth outcomes. I often have moms who send me an email telling me, I listened to every one of your podcasts, Kristen. Thank you so much. I had this great birth experience. And that's another example of a mom who's really dug in to the resources that she's got and really taken advantage of those and taken those things to heart. In addition to podcasts, there's all kinds of books. Uh, There are websites out there. My website is full of information. So there's just so much out there. And I don't want anybody to become overwhelmed. But I do believe that when you take the time to gain the knowledge and gain the skills, it makes a difference. And you have to put some filters up. Like, I would not tell you to head over to babycenter.com, read everything that they say about natural childbirth, and know that you're getting great information because in all honesty, I don't believe that you're getting great information there. They have token articles. They rank high in the search engine because they're a big corporate entity and they can manage to jury-rig the rankings somehow. But, you know, the the Baby Center or Wikipedia articles on natural childbirth are not where you need to be if you're planning a natural birth. You need to read Dr. Sarah Buckley's book, Gentle Birth, Gentle Mothering. Um, you need to read Ina Mae Gaskin's book. Uh, I, I, I think Spiritual Midwifery is a great book. It's a classic But really, um, read Ina Mae's Guide to Childbirth. And then you can read Spiritual Midwifery if you love the hippie language, because I love those birth stories so much, even though I disagree with some of the stuff in them at this point. Like, I think the the midwives were very hands-on-y. But... Um, but I still, you know, those, those stories carried me through my first few births and they have a soft spot for me. And there's one of them that I've actually read over and over again before every single birth, like all eight of my babies, I've read that story over and over again. So anyways, I love Ina May's books, but Dr. Buckley's book, Gentle Birth, Gentle Mothering is excellent. Um, Ina May's books, you know, you need to get into those books that are, um, Get into those books, those resources, those websites that truly believe in natural birth and aren't just giving it some token uh, article, whatever you want to call the drivel on Baby Center and the Wikipedia. So anyways, so let's, let's talk about the topic at hand before I get to too many rabbit trails. So I'm talking about, uh, I'm talking about skills and what are skills for birthing? So... A lot of people think that, you know, Lama's breathing is a skill for birthing. And first I want to say, we, you know, we gotta, we've got to give Lama's some credit because Lama's International, I actually believe, is a very good organization. They do a lot to help moms and babies have successful births. And Lama's breathing, what we think of as Lama's breathing, like that panting nonsense, is a thing of the past. Maybe if you're at some outdated hospital classes you're going to hear somebody talk about that, but that's not what Lamaze really teaches anymore, but it is what was taught in the past. So this like panting breathing or that it's all breathing and uh, looking at a focal point and this, that, and the other, it's th- those are things that, that's not really what I mean when I talk about childbirth skills. Now, I do think that understanding your breath and using your breath during your birthing time is a skill that you want to have. I talk about that in Mama Baby Birthing. But actually, when I talk about uh, skills, I and this this comes from the Pink Kit, which is another resource. It's a, it's not a childbirth class. 
The pink kit is actually literally just a collection of childbirth skills, and I can link to you some more information about that um, in the show notes. But those skills are, first of all, it's getting to know your body. It's coming to understand your body. And that can be scary, I believe, for any woman because often we've been taught that our bodies are shameful and that we, you know, that we shouldn't pay attention to our bodies or that we should be ashamed of our bodies. And we certainly shouldn't be like giving too much attention to down there because then we might be naughty or something. You know, it's just, that's what's, that's what many, many modern cultures have taught women uh, is that being a woman is somehow shameful. Having a woman's body that functions in a womanly way is somehow shameful. Many of us grew up ashamed of menstruation or at least just feeling like it was a huge pain. And then the the way that obstetrics texts and even gynecological texts, they kind of hold the male body up as this is the body and then the female body is kind of like some broken variation of the male body which is i mean that you know that's that's not the case you you don't have a mechanic walk into the shop and say okay this is a beautiful sports car and this is an awesome off-road truck and think that one is a broken version of the other you know he knows that they have some similarities and they have some differences One is a beautiful sports car. One is a really cool truck. And he appreciates them for what they are. He doesn't need some manual that kind of implies that the sports car is a broken version of the truck. So male and female bodies are, they should be their own standard. They have some similarities, but the female body has its own standard. So that, but that impression that the female body there's somehow something not quite right with it just because it's not a male body and it doesn't function as a male body nor should it function as a male body uh there's this impression that it's not quite right and i think that that shame often cascades down to young women i know that it did to me especially because i was a tomboy and so most of my friends were guys and i thought it was like the most horrible, most embarrassing thing ever to think that a guy would ever know that I was having my period or anything. It was just horrible. And it took it took me growing up and having babies, and, and I always loved babies, but realizing that I was passionate about birth until I came to feel that, that the female body was a beautiful thing. So, And the way that we work is a beautiful thing. So all of that to say... You may not feel comfortable with your body, and especially as a VBAC mom, so you have all of these things that all moms need to consider and many need to overcome as they grow in acceptance and familiarity with their body when preparing for birth, when going through the development of these skills. But as a VBAC mom, you may also be struggling with the feeling that my body doesn't work. My body may be broken. Something was wrong with my body. I wasn't able to birth my baby. Even if you needed a cesarean for something like a breech baby, so it wasn't quote-unquote something that went wrong during labor, but you may still find yourself grappling with doubts about your body because why didn't my body do what it needed to do to put my baby in the position that my baby needed to be in? And we know now, we don't know why all 
babies who are breech are breech. Some 4% of babies are breech. But we know that a number of them are breech because of something going on with the baby. So the baby's got some issue and therefore breech is is the way that the baby is going to be. So it doesn't have anything to do with your body, but you may still wonder about it or struggle about it. You know, moms can assign, I just finished up doing a video update um, on Phoenix that I'm going to go post up on YouTube after I finish this podcast. But that was one of the things that, uh, you know, that I was talking about in the video was that we moms can manufacture guilt in so many different ways. And this is one of them. And then, of course, if something happened during labor, if you had a failure to progress, if your baby was, quote unquote, malpositioned or something like that, you may feel guilt on yourself. And these are things that they need to be, I believe that we need to just look at them. Maybe easier said than done. You may want to just push that to the back of your mind. And this is actually somewhere where another resource that I created, which is called Fearless Birth, might come in handy for some of you because it talks about dealing with fears. And this is one of those fears. My body is broken. My body doesn't work right is a fear that you as a VBAC mom may face. And this is a little bit off to the side of skills, but it's still important because fearless birth walks you through examining that fear, that belief, that apprehension, examining it from a logical angle, and, uh, and, and then how to let go of it once we move beyond logic. Because sometimes we know logically, you know, my body isn't broken, uh, I have a good chance of having a VBAC, et cetera, et cetera. But it still doesn't, it d- doesn't stop that feeling that you have. And so what I want for you is, is I want you to realize that even as I talk about skills and things, you may still have that fear, that worry come up. And I don't want you to shove it to the side. I don't want you to try and push it out into your subconscious. I want you to say, this is a valid feeling. I'm going to acknowledge this. I'm going to do what I need to do with this. And then I'm going to get to the place where I can I can let it go. Maybe not 100% completely, but I will have acknowledged it and I will have worked through it. And I think that that mental preparation is very important. And we can come back and talk more about that in this series too. But as we think about the physical preparation and gaining the skills... Uh, I want I want to acknowledge that as a VBAC mom, there's a very high likelihood that that thought is going to be in your mind, that there's going to be that question that, is my body broken? Or that nagging thing that, okay, so I'm getting to know my body, but maybe my body is a lemon. That nagging feeling is there. And if you acknowledge that and look at that and explore that rather than trying to push it aside in your preparations, you will you will be more ready for your birthing time because if it crops up during your birthing time, you've already wrestled with it and you've already likely, I hope, given yourself a lot of affirmations that can help counteract it. And I also hope, going back to what we talked about in the last episode, you will be able to call on your support team and they will especially this is a place where a doula would be or a midwife would be an especially good choice for you because you can talk to them about these things and they have uh, I guess I don't want to say that husbands don't I think husbands are our biggest cheerleaders but the emotional intuition they may have that emotional intuition sometimes that this is what she needs to hear she needs encouragement to know 
that she can do this, that she is doing this. And and I, as I shared before, Scott has been one of my biggest cheerleaders that in my moments of self-doubt, he's been there rooting me on. So again, if you do this exploration and those doubts come up, then you and your support team can help affirm you and, and help you to overcome that if it comes up in the moment. So I think that's really important. And we have to, you know, we have to talk about the mental part of it when we talk about the physical part of it because you're like, well, I can do everything I need to, but my brain is still going to have that nagging feeling. Um, so anyways, moving on back to talking about skills. So when we talk about skills, that the foundation for being skilled during your birthing time comes with knowing your body. So you need to know your body, and that's what got me going down on that tangent is that many women don't know their bodies. Many of us have spent a long time feeling ashamed and especially ashamed of down there. So one of the things that you want to do is is know know your body, know yourself. One of the things that I advise my mama baby birthing students to do, and again, if you're interested in mama baby birthing, you can check that out at mamababybirthing.com. That's M-A-M-A babybirthing.com. It's a six-week self-paced childbirth class. I do also give you a live Q&A call every week, so you can call into the teleconference line or stream it online and ask questions about your situation or if something wasn't clear to you in the class materials, let me know. So that's there for you. Again, at mamababybirthing.com, you get lifetime access to that, M-A-M-A, babybirthing.com. But one of the things that I tell my students is I encourage them to spend the latter part of their pregnancy developing awareness of things that they may not have ever paid attention to before. This is a good way to get to know your body. Um, So one of the things that you want to do is you want to understand tension and relaxation in your body. What makes you tense? What makes you relaxed? When you tense up, what happens? How does your body feel? What are effective ways for you to relax? Oftentimes, being told relax makes us more tense. Just because we know that if somebody's telling me to relax, I'm in a stressful situation. So it's uh, it's kind of like something else that I shared on my video. If, if y'all are interested in watching the videos, go to youtube.com slash birthbabycare. But another thing that I talked about on the video this week was um, I was working on, uh, on writing something for the website and I had been kind of puttering at it for hours and saving. And when I went to do my final save and check the page, the, the editor just lost all of my changes for the whole day. So I was kind of melting down because I already felt rough that day. And Scott was kind of like, you need to relax. You need to relax. And it's like, I can't relax. You telling me to relax is making it worse. And, and that's kind of what it's going to be like in birth too. So think about as, and this is just a day-to-day awareness thing, ladies. This is thinking about it as I go through my day. It may not have anything to do with your pregnancy or birth, but how do I react to stressful situations? What helps me calm down? Um, I like, for example, again, the pink kit, uh, instead of relax, the pink kit uses the word soften. Like, so if, if we were telling a woman, <laughs> if we were telling a woman to relax her muscles, soften is what we would say to her. And it's actually interesting. You heard me chuckle there because I have so conditioned myself over the course of eight pregnancies. Well, not eight, I guess five pregnancies since I got the pink kit. 
But I've so conditioned myself to the word soften that like my entire lower half of my body just relaxed when I said that word. Uh, and then also hypnobabies, which is another um, birthing program that I recommend to moms who are interested in childbirth hypnosis. That's my top pick if that uh, appeals to you or resonates with you. Hypnobabies uses the word peace. So peace is a cue word. And both of those words, soften and peace, are cue words that can help create relaxation. And they don't have that instantaneous tension. Don't tell me to relax. Don't tell me to relax. You're not helping anything connotation that the word relax has. So as you're going through your day, you may notice, you know, what makes me tense? How do I act when I'm tense? What do my muscles do when I'm tense? Does my forehead tense up? Does my neck tense up? Do I tense up my shoulders? And also start paying attention to your bottom. So your pelvic floor area, your bottom. What does tension and relaxation feel like in that area? And how can you relax? I feel like the probably the easiest place to start to get a feel for that is when you're sitting on the toilet. So sit on the toilet and just soften, release, relax, let everything go and feel what that feels like. And you may also do some intentional tension, which would be doing, say, Kegel exercises. Most of you are probably familiar with that, where you just squeeze tight as if you were going to stop the flow of urine. You don't want to routinely stop the flow of urine, but that can help you uh, locate those muscles. So experiment with what tension feels like there. Experiment with what relaxation feels like there. So what does tension and relaxation look like in my life? How do I breathe when I'm tense? How do I breathe when I'm relaxed? What does tension and relaxation feel like in my bottom? How can I breathe to let that tension out? How can I breathe to keep that relaxation in? Those are things to be aware of. Um, another thing to be aware of is what makes me feel open down there. So for example, right now, as I'm recording this podcast, I'm sitting on a birth ball. I was actually bouncing on the birth ball until a few minutes ago, but I've managed to bounce Phoenix to sleep now. So I'm just sitting on the birth ball. But sitting on a birth ball makes me feel open and relaxed in my bottom. Sitting on the toilet, many women feel they're able to open and relax if they're sitting on the toilet. Um, uh, what makes you feel tense? So oftentimes if you cross your legs, like, you know, cross one knee over the other, you feel closed, you don't feel open, you don't feel relaxed. You're leaning back on the couch with your legs spread, just relaxing and watching television or a movie. You feel more open and relaxed. So experiment with different positions and things um, for, for what can help you uh, be more tense and more relaxed. And the reason why this is so important and why this is the foundation of skills is because different things work for different women. One of the things that um, I have liked to do recently, I guess in my midwife studies, I like to, there are certain things I like to think about. So one of the things I've been pondering, I guess that's a good word, pondering lately is squatting. So we know from studies that if a woman is in a full squatting position, she's more likely to tear. So one of the things that I've been pondering is, is this true only for the relatively westernized women who were in the studies? Or is this true universally? Because my suspicion as I ponder this is that in a woman who grows up in a culture where squatting is the norm, that her body and her muscles would be conditioned to that position and she probably wouldn't be more likely to tear. But Western women who hear that squatting opens your pelvis, which it does, 
It does. But they hear that squatting opens up your pelvis, so they want to squat to birth their babies, but they're not really accustomed to squatting or that that level of pressure or tension on the pelvic floor, then they may be more likely to tear. And so that's why that's why we look at what works for you, what makes you feel open. And for example, a woman who's not used to squatting, being on hands and knees would be a good position to allow her to be open and also reduce the chance of tearing. Kneeling, which is similar to squatting, but not, it's, there's not as much um, pressure and stretch put on the perineum when a woman is kneeling. So that might be another position to explore. So that's one of the things with childbirth skills is you look at all the different positions. You explore the different positions. You don't have to do it with anybody watching. But you explore those different positions and see what works for me. And then, of course, skills just beyond the awareness, beyond practicing different positions, beyond being aware of how you feel in those different positions... Skills also include things like being able to to deal with the rushes. And what should we do if we feel like things aren't progressing? So that's where a good childbirth class really helps you because you you discover things like, what do I do if I feel like labor's stalled? If you guys haven't watched it yet, you can head to the homepage of naturalbirthandbabycare.com. That's the homepage of my website. So just go to naturalbirthandbabycare.com. If you need something short to remember, go to birthbabycare.com. But naturalbirthandbabycare.com or birthbabycare.com. That's the homepage. Right at the top of the homepage, there's a mini class button. Click that button, sign up for the mini class, it's free. That's a video series that I did where I talk about some of the most common concerns about birth, including long labor. And I give you some tips for skills that you can use right there in that mini series. I give you skills that you can use to help overcome a stalled labor or to help a malpositioned baby turn around. Again, one of the things that I feel, I feel like so much of this works in tandem. What we talked about last week about being well-nourished. So you've got a fully expanded blood volume. So there's plenty of amniotic fluid. So the amnion and the chorion are strong. So the baby has cushioning to be able to turn around. That's part of the equation, so to speak. But there are also so many things that you can do. So many skills you can try. So many ways that you can work with your birthing time. And one of the things that I want to encourage you to remember, first, this is something from Hypnobabies, which I also mentioned, and I love this. One of the things to remember is that this is a new birth and a new baby. So this is a different situation than you were in with your previous baby, which may be something that's especially comforting to you as you prepare for a VBAC. And then the next thing to remember is that you are working with your baby. The popular perception of childbirth is that it's some like torture session to be endured. That the woman is like white knuckling it through birth. That's not what birth is. Birthing is working with your baby to bring him or her into the world. And I have had many students tell me that it's that one thought. Holding that one thought in their mind that I'm working with my baby. That has made an incredible difference for them in their birthing times. So remember that you're working with your baby. And many of the skills that you want to get for your birthing time are not going to be skills to help you white-knuckle it through the contractions. They're going to be skills to help you work with the contraction and also help you work with your baby. One of the things that we see a lot is if if a mom is really experiencing a lot of discomfort, feels like she can't do it anymore... 
that changing positions can make a big difference. And I believe one of those reasons is because changing positions facilitates what the baby needs to do. Oftentimes, if you're not making progress, the baby needs to do something. And so bringing in a skill, changing a position, um, working with mom's hips, spiraling, there are many different skills you could use, but those can help facilitate the baby moving and the baby doing what he or she needs to do. So getting skills is something that's really, really, really valuable for birthing your baby. Okay, we're going to cover another topic real quickly because honestly what I've just talked about and uh, and what we talked about last week, we've touched on it quite a bit. But that's positioning your baby well for your birthing time. Having a baby in a good position facilitates a smoother birth because you don't run into things like those malpresentations and that sort of thing. I do not believe that you should totally stress out about your baby's position to the point where it's, it is creating a lot of stress for you. But I do believe that being aware of your baby's positioning and creating habits in your baby's or in your life to encourage your baby into a good position is a good thing to do. So one of the biggest habits that I would encourage you is to take a daily walk. And in addition, I would encourage you to take a daily walk in the most minimalistic footwear possible. Why is that? It's because when our bodies, and it doesn't really matter your worldview, so you could believe as I do that a creator designed our bodies for birthing or you could believe in evolutionary theory that our bodies evolved for birthing, but whichever one you believe, there's some sort of design, whether by chance or by creator, there's some sort of design there that's intentional or refined over time. Um, and so our bodies, our bodies were created to birth our babies with the expectation that our pelvis would be aligned a particular way. What we know from biomechanical research is that when we walk in shoes, especially when we walk in heels, but when we walk in shoes that change our gait pattern, that provide lots of cushioning and support and that sort of thing um, in ways that our, you know, that our bodies aren't used to, it can, it impacts our posture and it impacts the way that our, even our pelvis sits. It actually impacts the way that our spine looks. If you look at medical textbooks from the early 1900s and medical textbooks for more, you know, more recent textbooks, like if you go pick up an, an, an anatomy textbook, sorry y'all, um, and you look at the diagram of the spine, it's quite different. And the interesting thing is, is like my kids and I, we've been reading about Leonardo da Vinci and he did detailed anatomical, anatomical, I don't know, I'm struggling with that word, anatomical drawings back in his day. So... People have been able to do detailed medical drawings of the spine for centuries, for centuries. So it's not like they were just ignorant and those drawings are not quite accurate because of that, because they were actually quite painstaking in how they did those medical drawings and those anatomical drawings. But if you look at the spine in one of those textbooks, or if you look in the spine in one of our modern day textbooks, the curvature of the spine is quite different. And the reason for that is that human posture and human gait patterns have changed profoundly because of fashion and furniture and our lifestyle and all kinds of other things. 
But birthing babies was designed back in the time before those changes happened. And the biggest way that we can facilitate uh, our babies being able to line up in a pelvis that's aligned the way that our bodies are expecting is to honor the way that we would have moved in the past, which would have been in minimalistic footwear for the most part. So, uh, and, and then that kind of a gait pattern, which for walking is a heel strike and then roll to the front pattern. And that's, that's kind of complicated. You can probably find a YouTube video of it. I might try and find a YouTube video to put in the show notes that demonstrates that. But a normal pattern for a human being walking um, is for the pelvis to be tilted slightly forward, not tucked under, which is what's common today. Tilted slightly forward so the tailbone is, is poked out slightly as if we had a tail to hold up in the air like we're pretty cats. Um, and then for the heel to strike first and then to roll to roll forward to the um, to the foot pad in the front. So let me just make a note to find you. Maybe I can find a good YouTube video on it. But, and I don't, again, I don't want you to stress out too much, but maybe these are some thought tools for you to hold into your mind. Uh, just as you take your daily walk, can I wear minimalistic footwear? And kind, can I kind of concentrate on, you know, striking with my heel first? That sort of thing. A thing that makes the posture easier is to imagine that there's like a string or a balloon coming from the top of your head and then it's pulling your head up. And often when you pull your head up that way, so your head's not jutting forward, which is the way most of our heads do today, if you pull your head up, it pretty much straightens up the rest of your spine and your pelvis, just that one thing. It's So if you hold that in your awareness as well, that might help. But taking a daily walk, especially if you can do it in minimal footwear, and I think it's good to do even if you can't, but that daily walk really encourages your baby to be aligned the way that you want your baby to be aligned. I, I had a student, this has been a few years back, but she was, um, she was either a missionary or she was working with an NGO or something, and the women in the village that she was working in, she was pregnant, and they seemed to have super easy births, and she asked them, how do you have such easy births? What do you do? And they told her, we just walk a lot. And she came to the Q&A call and asked me, Kristen, do you think they were just teasing me or do you think they were serious? And I actually believe that they were probably serious. That's probably women's wisdom where they are. And they know that they need to get out and walk when they're carrying a baby. And that helps the baby line up. Other things that can help a baby become aligned well, especially if there seems to be something going on with alignment, is getting a chiropractic adjustment to help to loosen up the pelvis and get it doing what it's supposed to be doing. If you've had any sort of pelvic dysfunction in a previous pregnancy, um, I would really, really recommend that you seek a chiropractor and even possibly a physical therapist who specializes in pelvic floor issues to help you work on realigning and getting things back to where they're supposed to be. That will help you avoid pain, which is probably the most important thing, and also help get your baby lined up. Other things to be aware of are just try and avoid slouching back 
in chairs, which encourage babies to be posterior. Um, and then also, if you're worried about a breech baby, if you've had a breech baby in the past, I would recommend that you go through the spinning babies techniques for a breech baby. So there's a lot. We could go into a lot on baby positioning. I could do an entire podcast episode on it. I could do an entire class on it or probably even an entire week-long seminar on it. There's a lot to think about, but I honestly believe that being aware of your posture, trying to lean forward more, not in a way that's uncomfortable. I guess I should go back to saying avoid slouching. So avoiding slouching and then doing the walking will make a really big difference and help you get baby lined up. And then again, that's complemented by what we talked about in last week's episode, where you're eating to stay low risk, where you're keeping that amniotic fluid volume high. And this is something else that what we talked about at the beginning is you develop awareness of your body as you develop skills, you can become aware of your baby's position. I have an entire um, blog post that I did recently on baby positioning and I also have a video on there that helps you to determine the position of your own baby and there's a video that explains each of the baby positions where I use a baby doll to show you. So that post might be really helpful for you. There's lots of illustrations as well. As you consider baby positioning, there's a lot of tips there for baby positioning. So I recommend to any mom, but especially for you as a mom who's planning a VBAC, that you take some time to get to know about baby positioning and don't stress about it, but do maintain an awareness of it and kind of encourage baby into a good position. I also believe, and I need to say this, I believe that visualizing your baby in a good position and talking to your baby about being in a good position, I feel like that makes a difference. Some people think it's all woo-woo, and if you do, that's fine, but I think it makes a difference. So work on developing those childbirth skills, work on baby positioning. I've mentioned a lot of things in this episode, so all of that will be in the show notes for you. And definitely, again, check out mamababybirthing.com. That's my self-paced childbirth series. You go through it at six weeks in, six weeks, or in your own pace if you're really close to having your baby because this is one of the biggest questions I get. We've actually created kind of a crash course module in there to go through if your baby's coming soon. But remember that I'm also there live every week on a Q&A call ready to answer your questions, give you the help you need, the support you need, the encouragement you need, even to research for you if you need that. So check that out again at mamababybirthing.com, M-A-M-A, babybirthing.com. I would love to see you on this week's call. Otherwise, I will talk to you next week and I hope that you have a blessed week. Thanks for listening to the Birth, Baby and Life podcast with Kristen Burgess. For great resources and tons more info, visit www.birthbabylife.com. Visit www.birthbabylife.com.